Colossians chapter 1. This morning we're going to look at a message titled, it's got a long title, When You Are Committed to Live in a Way That Pleases God, Then It Radically Changes Your Perspective About Life. It radically changes your perspective about life. You know, it it is, I love (laughs) talking to little kids. I love to hear a three-year-old say, when I was a little kid. (laughs) And and your perspective changes as you get older. I mean, now I think when I was a little kid, you know, and, and I was probably an adult, and it still felt very young. When you really try and live in a way that's going to please the Lord, it's going to change your perspective. I remember sitting in church the first time I got glasses. I was in elementary school, and I went to church, and I wore glasses. I couldn't believe it. I always wondered how my dad could see when I acted up in church. He sang in the choir, and our choir stayed up there, you know, and he could, you could see, although I didn't know you could see that far. And when you really follow the Lord, it's going to change your perspective. Father, as we look at your word today, We pray that we would really wrap our head around this idea that we cannot look at life the way non-believers look at life. We cannot view the circumstances of our life through the lens of naturalism or materialism. We must view life from a perspective that is spiritual, Christ-centered, holy. So... Work in our hearts this day. Draw us closer to you. Remove the dross. Refine the gold. In Jesus' name, amen. Colossians chapter 1, we're going to begin reading this morning in verse number 21. He's writing to believers. We spent the last couple of weeks, actually, in Colossians chapter 1. If you've missed those messages, they're available on our church website. You can see those. Listen to those. I guess you can't see them. And... Verse 21, and you, believers, that were, this is past tense, where you used to be, sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. That's how you used to be in your brain. You used to think like the world, walk like the world, act like the world, talk like the world. I know some of you were saved when you were very young. But I don't care if you were saved at three years old. There was a transformation in your heart. After you got saved, you were no longer just a three-year-old child on earth. You were a three-year-old child of heaven who lived on earth. And the Lord changes. And he says, the end of verse 1, that he has reconciled us. Now look what it says. At the beginning, present tense or past tense at the beginning. Ye that were sometimes. What is that? Past tense. What does that mean? It already happened. It's over. Now look at the end of the verse. Now hath he reconciled. This is present tense. See, we're not dealing with the future. Praise God we have a future with him. Praise God we have a future in heaven. But right now we're already reconciled with him. We were a mess. Now we're with him and someday great glories. But he's already done the reconciling part to bring us to the Father. Verse 22. How did he do that? In the body of his flesh through death. 
He died on the cross to pay your sin debt and mine. That verse continues, to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. If ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which ye have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. Verse 24. Who now rejoice in my sufferings for you, and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh, for his body's sake, which is the church, whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. He goes on to describe how that word would be fulfilled. We're going to pause there and, and jump back in it. When you are committed to live in a way that pleases God, it will radically change your perspective about life, about everything. Uh, number one, you will develop and value personal discipline. Look at verse 22. Unblameable unreprovable and before those words holy what does holy mean not really sinless although that's the concept the idea set apart to God so for instance you could have chairs just like this in your house but these chairs are holy why cuz I sprinkled holy water on them brother no they're holy because they're set apart to God. We use these chairs in his house to worship the Lord. And you are holy. This platform is holy. And you are the temple of the Lord. You are holy, set apart to God. And because we have been set apart by God, for God, and to God, it should change the way we live. And we should develop and value personal discipline. See, I think it's just as wrong for a Christian to overeat as, 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 as it is for a Christian to lie. It's just as wrong for a diabetic to eat unhealthy food as it is for somebody to eat something that might be illegal. I don't, I don't think I've ever eaten anything that was illegal. Oh, that's not true. I did in Cuba. There, the Cuban government outlaws certain foods that you can only buy on the black market, and they did buy some food on the black market and serve it to us. But I, I've never done it in America. But, <laughs> but, but see, we, we get this idea that some sins are really bad and others aren't quite so bad. For instance... I know Christians who are mean and hateful toward other people. And yet in his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, if you hate someone in your heart, it's as if you've already committed murder. See, the Lord changes the perspective of everything. I can't have hatred in my heart because then I'm acting like a murderer. I must have forgiveness in my heart. I must turn their judgment over to the Lord because the Lord has already paid the penalty for that sin and I must leave that with the Lord and I must make sure I don't pay people back. We live in a culture that loves payback as long as it's to someone else. 
but you develop and value personal discipline. When I became a pastor, we lived in a community called Green Valley, Sawarita, uh, about 100 miles south of here. Uh, God took us 2,000 miles to get us here, 100 miles up the road. But, but when we were in Sawarita, we moved there, I was a night owl. How many of you are night owls? I, I could stay up most of the night and it didn't bother me. I hated getting up in the morning. And, and I, I would go to bed at 1 or 2 in the morning and people would call our house at 6 in the morning. They'd say, well, we knew with all those kids you'd be up. Well, we are now because your phone call woke those kids up. But, you know, I I had to make a decision. Was I going to minister to the people in my community or was I going to selfishly insist on my way? And I became a morning person. It took work, but it happened. And now, guess where I was at 530 this morning? Sitting in my study, reading the scripture, talking to God. That because we can value personal discipline. We can develop it. We can set a goal of holy and blameless and unblameable, not because we'll be sinlessly perfect, but because we will continue to correct ourselves back to the standard of God's word. And we can value that. Secondly, you can accept you accept your responsibility to live as a minister of the gospel. Verse 23, Paul said, the middle of the verse, uh, uh, or the end of the verse, I, Paul, am made a minister. The middle of the verse, the hope of the gospel. You've heard it, it's been preached, and I am made a minister of the gospel. Say, well, yeah, he was a preacher, right? Well, I'm a preacher, and I'm a minister of the gospel. You know what? You're a minister of the gospel, too. We're called to represent Christ to this community by sharing his truth with them, showing and modeling his love and sharing his truth, letting them know how much he loved them cares for them, hates their sin, loves their heart. And he wants to have them accept him so he can forgive their sin. Uh, you, You accept your responsibility to live as a minister of the gospel. So how does that work? Well, Ben Qualls, one of our deacons, lives down in Arizona City, and Ben has a business down there, and he's also involved in the Arizona City Chamber of Commerce. And in the Chamber of Commerce, he goes into the Chamber of Commerce. Are you, you're like the coordinator of it, right? So, yeah, I, I think they call him the Grand Puba. Uh, but, but down in the Chamber of Commerce down there, Ben goes in and he goes in and he opens his Bible and he says, "Thus saith the Lord, thou shalt repent." And, and that's that's basically how he does the meetings. Uh, they're getting smaller, by the way. Um, no. No, that's not what he does. That's not appropriate ministry. Shows his love, shares his truth, and gives people an opportunity to look to Christ. So I'll tell you how it should work in those meetings. That If something needs done, Ben jumps up and works to do it. He doesn't sit around and wait on people. He figures it out. 
He gets involved, engaged. And he lives with a conscious awareness that other people are looking at him to see Christ. So, if he gets upset about something, he's not going to scream and holler and have his face turn as red as his hair. He's not going to do that. If he feels like that, he's going to say, I'll be back. He'll get in his car, he'll drive around the block, and then he'll come back in where he's cooled down a little bit. See, we have no right to pursue our rights because we have given up our rights to the Lord. And we must make sure that we present His rights, not ours. As a minister of the gospel, nothing should get in the way of people seeing Christ in you and in me. Hey, how many of you think that's easy? Raise your hand. No, it's not. It's hard. Sometimes it would be easier if the Lord would just say, okay, listen, you get today off. Go ahead and be selfish, Harold. Just this one day. God doesn't do that. He says you represent him as a minister of the gospel to model his love and grace to people. It doesn't mean you're never going to get upset. But I will tell you, it'll mean you may have to apologize afterwards. You may have to go up to somebody and say, listen, I, it was okay for me to be upset. I should have been upset over those circumstances. But how I handled my upset was inappropriate. I am a Christian. I'm supposed to show God's love and grace. Would you please forgive me for my outburst? I should handle my anger more maturely. I guarantee you, you apologize for stuff like that. It's going to give you greater opportunities to represent Christ. To speak his truth to people. You accept your responsibility to live as a minister of the gospel. So if you go out to lunch today and your waiter or waitress, food server, is that what they call them? uh, Pours your coffee on your head, dumps your plate of food in your lap, cusses at you. How should you respond? With love and grace like Christ and a complaint to the manager. The manager needs to know the employees are doing stuff like that. But you don't attack the person. They can attack you. You cannot attack them because you are constricted by Christ to serve as a minister. So you view life differently. I used to honk my horn at people when they annoyed me. So, you know, if... I was driving down the road, and Kathy bothered me. I just honked at everybody. No, I, I, not really. But I, I have stopped doing that, and I will occasionally honk my horn as a warning to another car. I, I did that actually on the freeway recently because it wasn't a warning for me. This truck started to pull into the lane, and there was another car there. And I honked my horn, and he got back in his lane and looked around, and then he slowed way down to get behind that car. I slowed down and let him in front of me. When somebody's driving like that, you want them in front of you so you can see what they're doing. And, and, but I honk my horn, not because he was bothering me, honk, honk, out of my way, but because I wanted to warn him. So we have a, a need to represent Christ. It's your duty. And we need to remember that. Number three, 
you will happily endure suffering for the sake of others and for the sake of the gospel. That's what Paul says in verse 24. Now rejoice in my sufferings for you. What? Rejoice? Yes. We will happily endure the suffering for the sake of others and for the sake of the gospel. It's worth it. Yes, life's more difficult when you help people, but it's worth it. Number four, you want to model and share God's truth with others. Model. What does that mean? Have you seen models? Have you ever seen... I mean, I don't watch them, but I've seen shows where they have models and they walk out on the runway, you know, and they walk in these high-heeled shoes and they, I, I would probably break an ankle or maybe my neck trying to wear those things. But, but what are they doing? They're showing everybody. They walk down the runway and they walk back. Modeling God's grace is different than that. It's not like, hey, everybody, I want to show off. Hey, Marvin, check this out. Hey, can you tell I've been working out? No, it's not modeling like that. It's just living in a way that people might see Jesus in you. See, in in the book of Acts, uh, the church in Antioch, that's where they were first called Christians. And the people who started calling them Christians were not the people in the church. The people in the church didn't say, hey, we've got to have a new name. You know, followers of the way is just not catchy enough. We need a one-word name. What's a good one-word? Oh, how about Christian? No. It actually started outside the church. When the people outside the church looked in at the people in the church, they said, those people are acting like Christ. They're Christians. And see, honestly... I, I can honestly tell you, I have never, ever been hurt by a Christian. Never. I've never been lied to by a Christian. I've never had a Christian take advantage of me. Because the word Christian means Christ-like. And a Christ-like one doesn't do those things. I've been hurt by believers. I've had believers lie about me. But in that moment, they were not being Christian. They were not being Christ-like. And so we want to say, I'm going to try every day to live in a way that's Christ-like. Hey, there are people that drive you nuts. Don't elbow the person next to you, okay? There are people that drive you nuts. I said, don't, Donna. I saw that. <laughs> Poor Anna. Pray for Anna. Oh, well. Hey, I, and what, what you got to do is say, I'm not going to let them drive me crazy. I'm going to follow Christ. I'm not going to retaliate. I'm not going to seek vengeance. I'm not going to attack. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to model and then share God's truth with others. We read down through verse 25. uh, To fulfill the word of God, the end of verse 25, even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints. See, Paul tells us in other places and here that there was a time when no one saw the church coming. For 2,000 years of Jewish history, they thought everyone would convert to Judaism. They didn't know there was coming what's called now dispensationally the church age. They didn't know that was coming. 
this age of grace. They thought today I would be converted to Judaism and still following that and waiting for the Messiah. They didn't realize the Messiah was going to come twice. Once as the suffering servant and a second time as the conquering king. So that's part of the word of God is revealing this truth that God gave that's consistent with the Old Testament. See, there is a church today that calls themselves a church of Jesus Christ. And they have a newer revelation, but it's inconsistent with the old revelation. The New Testament is consistent with the Old Testament. And, and we can trust it and honor it. And, uh, he, and then he says in the end of verse 26, Now is made manifest to his saints, to all those who believe, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. You want to model and share God's truth with other people. When you're committed to live in a way that pleases God, it's going to radically change your perspective. You're not going to pursue your own rights. You want to pursue those of the Lord. In fact, number five, you're going to realize that bringing glory to God is more important than any personal recognition. Bringing glory to God is more important than any personal recognition. Read with me, if you will, the end of verse 27. Okay, when I stop, I stop reading at the word Gentiles, then you read the rest of the verse with me. Okay, this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, if you know Jesus Christ as Savior, there is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Say that to your neighbor. (laughs) Good job. Christ in you. How does that happen? It's the person of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit that is just like Christ. Jesus said in the Gospel of John. And he lives inside you. As confirmation that someday you're going to stand in the presence of Jesus. And you're going to bow before him in awesome worship. Before the most holy one. The Lord Jesus Christ. And so bringing glory to him is way more important than your own recognition. I heard one day. Just cracked me up. Was, I, I was with Courtney, yeah, and we heard this certain preacher had been uh, adopted into the Christian Hall of Fame. Hey, don't nominate me for that, please. I believe there should be a Christian Hall of Fame, and it should have one member, Jesus Christ. He's the one we exalt. He's the one we honor. Everybody else is just a servant. Jesus is the one. We want to exalt him. We want to bring glory to him. We don't want personal recognition. And that's why we have people in our church who've taught Sunday school and served in Awana for years and years and years. And they don't want rewards. They don't want acknowledgement. They just want to serve in a way that brings honor and glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we have deacons in our church. And some people say, well, who are the deacons? Well, how come you don't know them? You know, in some churches, while the pastor's speaking, the deacons are sitting up in the chairs there 
and frowning if they disagree and nodding their heads if they agree and falling asleep if they're bored. Uh, and, and that happens in some churches. I've seen it. Some churches out on the road sign, they have the pastor's name and his picture. I don't do that because I don't want to scare people away. But listen, the reason, real reason I don't do that, it's not about me. This church is not about who the pastor is. This church is about who the Savior is. And we need to exalt the Savior and bring glory to Him. And if we get no, no recognition on earth, that's okay. Someday we're going to stand in His presence. And He's going to remember and He's going to reward us for everything we've done. And those are the rewards that count. You could win a Grammy and an Academy Award and all those other People's Choice Awards. or all You could win that in every category. It wouldn't be anywhere even close to the one award of Jesus Christ saying, hey, good job, Jerry, when you get there. Now, I know the King James says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I'm pretty sure it's going to be good job, Gary. I, I don't know how it's going to be. But I know he's going to recognize us. He's going to recognize you and me. And we want to live in a way that brings glory to him. (laughs) Number six, you're going to think, or number five, sorry, six. You think about the spiritual needs of people you interact with every day. And you consciously try to influence them toward Christ. Verse 28. Verse 27 talks about the awesomeness of Jesus, the hope of glory. Verse 28, whom we preach. Warning, what are the next two words? Every man, every human being. And teaching, how many? Every man in all wisdom. That we may present who? Every man perfect in Christ Jesus. See, we're we're trying to influence everybody. You think about the spiritual needs of the people you interact with every day. And you're consciously trying to influence them toward Christ. So, Ben, do you know Christ is your Savior? When did you trust Christ? Okay, when he was eight years old. Who baptized you? That's right. No, I really remember that, okay? I serve in Awana on Thursday nights and with a middle school club. Why do I hang out with middle schoolers? Because they're cool, right? right? And see, some of those kids know Christ. How old are you now? So he has been a Christian for five years. I can't help him trust Christ. It's already happened. But I can help him grow in Christ. I can influence him toward Christ. That's what Discipleship Outreach Focus this week is all about. Influencing people toward Christ. If they've already trusted him as Savior, helping them grow. If they haven't trusted him as Savior, trying to bring them to a place where they do. And that's what we do in our Awana program all year long. We're discipling people toward Christ and then discipling believers toward Christ so that we can continue to grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so every day you need to think about that. You're going to go get your hair cut. Well, think about the person who's cutting your hair. You know, they're stuck. They can't walk away from you. You're paying them to cut your hair. You can bring up the gospel, talk about church, talk about the Lord with them. The next time you come in, they may bump you to a different chair. Don't be obnoxious about it, but bring it up. You're waiting for your car to be done. 
There's people sitting in the chairs waiting for a car to be done. You can say, hey, how's your day? And consciously think, I might have an opportunity to bring Christ into this conversation, and I'm looking for it. Don't be obnoxious. I mean, you're sitting waiting for your car at, at Dallas's Giddens Tire Pro, and you're waiting for your car, and somebody else is waiting for their car. Don't turn over to them and say, if you die today, do you know if you'd go to hell? That doesn't show real concern for that person. Yes, that's a question they need to ask at some point. But we introduce the gospel. We don't shove it down people's throats. But consciously think. Consciously try and influence people toward Christ. Number seven, you're going to ignore personal comfort and choose instead to work diligently to accomplish the word and work of Christ, to advance his word and his work. Verse 29 says, Whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. See, when you are committed to live in a way that pleases the Lord. It's going to change your perspective about everything. So, how's your perspective today? Do you recognize you are a minister of Christ? You can influence people toward Christ. You can care for people. Are, are you willing to endure hardship? Are you developing some spiritual and physical disciplines that help keep your body healthy so you can serve the Lord well and spiritually to keep your soul right with God? Are you developing some of those disciplines? What, what's your perspective today? The Apostle Paul said, I am sold out for Jesus. And because I am sold out for Jesus, it's going to affect everything in my life. It affects how I view the problems and circumstances of life. It affects how I view the people, even the people who are problems. When you're committed to live in a way with, that pleases the Lord, it radically changes your perspective about everything. So what needs change? Say, well, actually I'm doing good. Today was an encouraging thing for me. I've made some decisions. Praise God for that. If there's decisions you need to make, make those decisions. Kathy's going to come and play, and Jim's going to come and lead us in a song in just a minute. But as Kathy plays through that song, I want you to just think about you and God and realize that God's looking at your heart right now and if you have never trusted Jesus Christ as your savior if you have never asked him to forgive your sins and be your savior you need to do that if you know the Lord and haven't followed him in baptism maybe you need to do that if you are not a member of a good church home maybe you need to come as a candidate for membership we've had two join our church this year what do you need to do as you answer the Lord.
song we're going to sing is, I gave my life for thee. I gave what the Lord gave for us. And then in the song, it says, if the Lord then asked the question, what are you willing to give for him? You can't earn your salvation. But when he's changed your life, then you want to give back to him. And he's asking you, are you mature? Are you giving back? As Jim comes and leads us in this song, let's stand as we sing.